0: Welcome to Traeger Method Podcast, episode number 54. I am your host. My name is Jason Traeger. It's my podcast. It's our podcast now because you're listening to it. I also share it with today's guest, who I'm so happy to have spoken to, and I'm so happy to share this conversation with you Uh, today. uh, The conversation I am having is between myself and Nikki Thomas, a dear friend of mine, someone I love and admire drummer extraordinaire you know her from her work in dc punk fire party of course responsible for some crucial entries in the discord catalog she was also in seattle band in the 90s mavis pickett they were great she's been in a whole bunch of bands she tells us about it. i would forgotten how many bands she's in she's in a band today actually hard left In the Bay Area where she lives today. But we don't just hear about music. We do. But we also hear about Nikki, the person, the citizen, the mother, the teacher, the cook, the the food thinker. Talks about her life in food. She worked for Alice Waters at the Edible Schoolyard. Now she teaches in the Bay Area. She's still in the Bay. Did I mention we also talk about her life as a mother? And she's writing a memoir. She shares with us about that project, about her life and experience as a black woman in punk rock. She talks to us about that project, and she shares some of her experiences as such with us in this conversation. It's an honor to talk with Nikki. I'm so happy that she took time to speak with me. It was great to catch up with her. I've known her for many years, but I learned things that I didn't know. So even if you already know her and love her and are a fan, you'll learn something too probably that you didn't know before this one. Um, she talks about her travels and many of those stories are um, travels she did with previous Traeger Method guest, Cynthia Connolly. See, there's a web here. I noticed that Cynthia and, and um, Nikki's voices are actually kind of similar. Like a couple of times when I was editing, I sort of thought, am I listening to Cynthia or Nikki? Maybe it's just a DC accent. But uh, I think it's probably just that they're such good old friends, you know? Could be. Cynthia sent me some good photos for posting of Nikki. Cynthia being a photographer, and Nikki's one of her oldest, bestest friends. She sent me some photos of Nikki and her, so I'll be posting those on Instagram throughout the week. Haven't been posting a lot on Instagram. I think the last one was yeah a few days or like the day before Thanksgiving or something. Took some time off. Didn't do an episode last week either. It's okay. That Sam Nee episode held things down real nicely. That was a great one. I really enjoyed that conversation. Thank you, Sam, for holding, holding it down for two weeks in the Traeger Method space online. I would also like to thank, of course, all my contributors, had a really nice one-time contribution from Mark Lambert. Thank you, Mark. But thank you to all listeners who give to Patreon through Spotify app, uh, Anchor. Thank you. I really, from the bottom of my heart, I appreciate it so much. It means the world to me. I mean that. It really does. It's like, damn, I kind of just have to pinch myself whenever somebody contributes. You know, like you care You you that much. It's amazing. But also the people that just share with, um, friends, you know, tell people about the podcast. Thank you. And, uh, this week in particular is like Spotify's, um, you know, wrap up or whatever you call it thing has been happening. So people have been posting, you know, that the trigger method is one of their top five podcasts. and I really appreciate that. We're coming in number two a lot, which is great. I mean, number two is wonderful. You know, a lot of times the one above me, I wouldn't want to be above. Like, it's like, you know, listener, um, KRS NYC at KRS one NYC. That's the Instagram handle of this listener. I was number two, but beneath the best show, Tom Sharplings show. And I'm like, yeah, I wouldn't want to be above that. It'd be ridiculous. Tom Sharplings, you know, I was listening to him before podcasts even existed. He's a master of the form of radio, of, of conversational arts. So, you know, number two, it's fantastic. This is the first year of this thing. It's incredible that I'm on anyone's list. I'm honored that you listen, that you've been a part of this. You know, like I said, the year anniversary was just before Thanksgiving. One year. That's good. That's, you know, boom, done. We're into year two now. What's it going to be like? It's not linear with this thing. Like there's progress, there's growth, there's change, there's uh, evolution. But, you know, something that was easy last week is hard. this week. Like this introduction, this sounds like a very standard introduction, right? Pretty straightforward. I welcomed you. I talked about my fantastic guest, Nikki Thomas. Then I thanked contributors. Now we're doing a little small talk, you know, free form, small talk, before I share the conversation with Nikki. That's, you know, pretty straightforward intro, right? Took me about, I don't know, what, seven minutes to do this? Well, I'll tell you, these seven minutes are like a cherry on top of a Sunday of attempts to do this introduction, if you can believe it. I shit you not, no shits. Yesterday last yesterday evening I spent probably 6 hours I mean insane you know doing one then going back and you know adding things to it then taking out these parts and then you know the part you took out now the part after it doesn't make sense because you took out a part that referenced something that that but the part you just did was really good so you keep that, then you, you go over the stuff at the end so that it makes sense. But wait a sec, did I talk about that already on the previous take? I should go back and listen. Then you go back and listen. And you think, well, that's not that good. And I should just take all that out. You go, Let's just start again from scratch. Okay, then do, you know, times that by six hours. Insanity, just madness. But then after all of that, I come back to this. Just boom, 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 you're done. And then talk about that effort. (laughs) I don't know why I'm sharing it with you. I I didn't even need to. You wouldn't have even known that ever happened. But it's just a way of illustrating that, you know, I'm 54 uh, episodes in and I'm still spending eight hours on an intro here and there. I'm not telling you this to try and get more contributions. This is on me. That's on me. That's nothing to do with you, you know. But if you do want to contribute, thank you. And I will be updating my Patreon. Uh, There'll be some tears and stuff like that in the future. Tears of appreciation, but also tears for, you know, giving. I want to start, you know, moving things through there, making things for that, stuff like that. Maybe I should do a, a bonus episode of my big steaming heap of discarded intros. God, that would be, (laughs) I don't know if that would be an award, a reward. That'd be more like a punishment, maybe. Maybe it'd be awesome. I don't know. I'm glad to have scrapped that stuff. You know, sometimes it's like, dude, relax and just do a podcast. You don't have to. Because a lot of times I want to share a bunch of stuff, then I go, I get real... Been out of shape about what I'm sharing. And then I think, well, is that, I I just question so much. I spend too much time by myself. That's what it comes down to. I need to get some work outside of the house. Most of my work takes place in things that make money take place in my apartment and I need to do some work outside. I need to get a part-time, you know, and just get into it, whatever the hell it is, you know, wearing a mask. I need to be out there, get some steady and get some, uh, You know, people time out in the world, man, you know, with COVID, what is me and what is it uh, anymore in terms of mental, emotional, cognitive, functioning, social, you know, my God, we're not alone. You know, you're not alone if you're going through this kind of stuff. You know, I don't think I would have, you know, the eight hour intro attempt. I don't think that would have taken eight hours if I was getting out more often. I think I'd be more used to imagining talking to somebody if I was actually talking to people in person more often. Uh, the other day I went and did an in-person interview. I won't say with whom, but, uh, I don't know why I'm keeping I just never announce ahead of time episodes. I liked it to be a surprise. I don't know. That's just a trigger method thing that's developed. I don't know if I've ever announced an upcoming show, but, uh, I did an interview, a talk conversation with a friend Live in person not long ago. And that was so much fun. I felt so bad beforehand. I was feeling just real, I don't know, just down. You know, seasonal affective life disorder. Woke up from a stress nightmare. And then I soothed myself by reading the news too long and too in depth, too big a variety of stories, you know, to eat, to soothe myself somehow. That's not a good way to soothe oneself. First thing in the morning, spending a chunk of time with two or three news sites going deep on the horror and your serotonin levels are just completely effed. And then in that compromised state, you hit the Instagram and you see a picture of somebody on vacation and you're just like, what is the fucking point? But then you see, you know, some really wise therapists post and it, makes you feel a little better. And then you see a cute puppy and you go, all right. Or you see a trigger method podcast post, you know, that it's out and you go, oh, okay. This isn't all bad. It's all mixed, right? Just even talking about like, you know, Spotify and Instagram. It's like, that's the vehicle for, you know, all these things that are super important to me. And they're, you know, awful companies, right? Billionaires don't pay people facebook meta just fracturing reality ushering in authoritarianism and it's the home of the trigger method instagram check us out the whole reason i started talking about this is because i was describing my before and after the before is what i'm talking about you scramble your serotonin you're by yourself you're you know looking at the day going oh god do i have energy for this then i go do this interview with a friend in person you know face-to-face, eye-to-eye in another location. And And coming out of that hour and a half or whatever later, I feel great. I feel refreshed. I feel renewed. And then it occurred to me, you know, I've been on a major diet of that. We all have been on a major diet of that during this pandemic time. And that is not peripheral to mental health and well-being i would even say that it is central to it and that's been at least in my life very greatly curtailed and uh i think it's important to remember that because all the things going on in the world politically ecologically it's very intense time it's all been exacerbated by covid and on top of all that, you got your own personal life, you know, that's and your psyche and your yeah, you know, that you're managing your your own financial situation and emotional relationship, everything that goes along with your health. I mean, on top of you know this background noise of uh, you know so much crisis and uncertainty and mutation or whatever. It's like, my God. All I'm saying is, you know, give yourself a break. I say this probably every episode, but I man, I mean it, you know, treat yourself with compassion, give yourself space. And by doing so you are helping others. It is not a self-centered thing to take care of yourself, you know? It's it's a necessary upkeep, you know, that allows you to be more of service to others, you know, by doing that work. It's not self centered because I sometimes think that I've had that belief in the past. Like I need to just plunge forward. Doesn't matter, (laughs) you know. I'm just a vehicle. But no. We're not just riding in the vehicle of ourselves. We are our bodies, you know? One thing I've been working on is when I feel bad, mad, sad, less than glad, frustrated, hopeless, whatever, I focus less on the story, the thoughts around that feeling. And I get more into just my body, like where am I holding energy? Like are my shoulders heavy? Think about that. Relax your shoulders a little. Is it my hands? I'm tensing. Try relaxing them. Breathing shallow. Take a deep breath. Maybe do all of them. You know, get out of this thing, this idea that you're going to think your way out of that difficult place. Maybe instead of trying to think your way out or make some plan or go all hopeless, you know, I wish, it's too late, all or nothing, you know, whatever formed the all or nothing equation, it's too late, the the dead end equation, whatever that form takes, whatever form that feeling takes, set that aside. And, you know, again, just feel your feet, check in. Um, a friend of mine suggested, you know, name seven things in your environment just to get out of your head. There's a clock, there's a wall, there's a ceiling, there's a plant. You know, these are things in my environment. I am here in this place right now. Something as simple as that can really help. It's very simple. I mean meditation. It's simple, you know, watch your thoughts, let them go, whatever. Sit there. Breathe. I tried meditate I well, I didn't try. I meditated for about 10 minutes I sat on a pillow. I have a good meditation pill. I sat on it about 10 minutes. And I thought, you know, that wasn't that hard. I'm going to do this every day. Didn't, I haven't done it since it's been weeks. I mean, it's not a should thing, but I do know in my heart that 10 minutes of meditation would be better for me than 10 minutes of mainlining news. I mean, previous trigger method guests star Athena she talked about how the last couple of years she's been meditating daily and that it's been the, the single most transformative thing she's done. This is a person I trust deeply. And that's what she's saying. And I don't, you know, act on that. That's crazy. Okay. Well, it's not crazy. It's just what is, and I can change that. So that's my little commercial for meditation too. We're just doing a therapy corner here in Traeger Method. I like that. I, I, I stand by this. One, I'm not going to scrap this. This is what you're getting. This is what you got. That was the intro. And with that, please enjoy, I know you will, my conversation with Nikki Thomas.
1: I'm at my school. Turn it off. It's freezing in here. School, <laughs> the heat's off for the uh, holiday. Yeah, for the break. How are you? <laughs> doing okay, well. You? Thank you.
0: <laughs> Thank you. How are you doing?
1: All right. You know, it's a break, so it feels good.
0: So, have you been doing a lot of Zoom teaching over the uh, pandemic?
1: Uh, last year, I did a ton of Zoom teaching, and um, we did end up in person for a while. Last year, I work at a small progressive independent school, so um, we were able to come in person a lot sooner than many public schools. Oh yeah, and um, but I did spend a lot of time on Zoom and had all of the like gadgets. And then when we got in person, I was doing um, hybrid teaching, which is not—I mean, it's impossible. You can't teach teaching children that are
0: half human, half. uh...
1: Yeah, half in person and half on Zoom, basically doing a shitty job with both. Like, I was just like, I'm like doing five different jobs, like, all of them I'm really shitty at right now. But at least you get paid the same. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) It's like, yeah, I'll be doing three different jobs and really poorly, you know. (laughs)
0: And the kids, the kids all win. What what age are the children that you're teaching?
1: I'm like, uh, they're fourth, fifth, fourth, and fifth grade. So, like, nine to 11. And then this year, I'm also teaching library for the whole school, like kindergarten to fifth grade. Wow. How is,
0: many kids are at the school?
1: Um, It's a lot. Yeah, we're at like, we're about a hundred right now. Oh, a
0: so real small.
1: Yeah. It's a really teeny school.
0: How long have you taught there?
1: Uh, this is my eighth year teaching here. Yeah.
0: Had you taught public school before that?
1: I did. Uh, you know, I, t- oh, well, I taught at the edible schoolyard in Berkeley, What's um, that? Tell, teaching tell cooking. It. That's that program that Alice Waters started in in Berkeley. Yeah. So I was teaching cooking there for about five years before my daughter was born. And then I, you know, after she was born, I I stayed home with her for three years. And then I started, um, I met the director of this school just by chance at a camp that I was teaching where I was teaching cooking. And um, she was like, would you ever want to sub? And then I just started subbing. And then I eventually like worked my way up to my own classroom.
0: Awesome. Where did you you learn to cook? I mean, have you studied cooking in in an official way or did you just learn? I learned your cooking journey,
1: my cooking journey. I, you know, my mom, my parents divorced pretty early on. So my mom worked really hard and I was a latchkey kid and we didn't have a lot of money. So we didn't, there was often not a lot of food. So I learned how to kind of scramble things together when I was really young and I was really into watching cooking shows like the ones that came on in the seventies, yeah, <laughs> you know, like a Julia, Julia child. child. Yeah. I was super into a Julia child. And um, so I learned a lot that way. And of course we didn't have those ingredients. You know, I didn't have any fancy ingredients or anything. Yeah, French cooking is a little, uh, demanding yeah. on that. but, it, but still like it kind of, you know, I was really, I just loved her so much. I was so inspired by it and was so hungry as a child often, um, but then as soon as I got, like, started getting jobs, I started working at restaurants and um, I worked at Food for Thought in D.C. for a yes. long time. And um, then what else? I worked at a pizza place. And then when I moved to Seattle, I think I, I, I got into coffee for a little while, working in coffee. And then, um, and then here in Oakland, I also worked at Ares Mendy. Oh, yeah. I love that place. The pizza yeah, yeah, there. yeah. So it's a worker, worker-owned co-op. Or collective, I should say. So I worked there for a few years as well. Yeah, that. So I've just kind of picked it up, and then, um, you know, I went to law school, which was like a totally left field, wrong thing to do. Um, And then one day, I was sitting in this like firm when I was interning, and I was looking for jobs. I was in my office, like procrastinating work, looking for jobs, and I saw a job at the Edible Schoolyard, and I read the description. I was like well, that's exactly me. I should just apply for this. And I think I was so like confident after law school, it gives you this like false sense of like, you can do anything or maybe it's not a false sense. Maybe it's a real sense because you like, you made it through that. So you really can do anything. So I um, applied and got that job and found out that there were like 200 applicants or something for the job, but it didn't even occur. I didn't, it was like, there was no question as soon as I like set my resume and did all this stuff, I was like, that's mine. Like they'd be crazy not to hire me for this job. And they weren't
0: crazy. They did. <laughs> and they weren't
1: crazy. You know, that was born to do that. And it was like, it was incredible. It was really incredible to work there. What was it like? I think, you know, the thing that was most amazing was working with like middle schoolers, you know, so they are sixth, seventh, eighth grade. What happens to them between sixth and eighth grade is really like, there's so much change that happens. The crucible. up. Out- yeah, they start out at these as these little kids, and most most teachers and and people are like, oh, why would you want to be around them? But uh, we were, you know, it's at King Middle School in Berkeley, which is like a huge pub- public school with nine over nine hundred people, nine hundred kids, and um, they, you know, they would come into the kitchen and the garden. That was like, you know, a refuge. So we were the place that everyone wanted to be, and it was just an amazing place because the big part of it, I think people don't really realize how much of that program is about teaching the kids how to sit around the table and talk and share and connect. Um, So to just three times a day, sit with 10 kids at a table, like cook with them first, and then sit at a table and talk with them and get to know them for the whole entire school is pretty incredible. It's really, really incredible.
0: So the school is attached to like a school, school, and then you've got the cooking and gardening aspect of it as just a program in the school.
1: Exactly, I exactly. See. And I heard that. I mean, that school is really cutting edge and doing really cool things. They um, they also uh, just recently put in a forest. I guess there's some activists out there who's really into just like you like plant all these trees and like add all this bacteria and do all of this stuff. And you make these like almost instant forest, you know, they like set them up and they, they clear their whole like front um, lawn of all of the like, you know, shitty landscaping or whatever. And they installed the a forest in the front of the school. Yeah. Um, and native
0: plants and stuff.
1: Yeah, exactly. Mycelium. So, um, yeah, exactly. Exactly. And it was, um, Working there was amazing, you know. Like, but it was also I feel like there was a lot of like roads that led me to it. So, like, once I decided that I didn't want to do law, Cynthia hooked me up. Cynthia Conway hooked me up with. Trigger at the podcast guest. Yeah.
0: Everybody knows. <laughs> yeah,
1: of course, um, <laughs> who will come up a lot in this conversation? Um, but she hooked me up with working for Les Blank, that filmmaker. Uh, he's films. Did he do? He did like garlic as good as 10 mothers. He did the movie about, um, Oh, what's his name? Oh gosh. My brain is killing me. He did one about lightning Hopkins. He did all these like really interesting, just stock, like close in documentaries on film. Uh, he did quite a few food ones. Like it was really into like Louisiana and that area, but he also did one on, um, Oh, what's the big Is it Fitzcarraldo? What's the film where they're like moving the boat he did a documentary on that as well. And he, he's, he just like was, it's so interesting because he's like totally like from a different world and different era, but so much of the way he worked was like familiar to me and like punk, you know, like I did mail order for him. He had like a file cabinet filled with stamps and he was like, well, I want you to take the time when you put pack up the packages to like, pick the stamps that you want to like, make it look how you want, you know, like spend the time on it. you know. Very um, and then, you know, I would turn up to work and he was really good friends with um, the fellow who does the Telluride film festival. Mm. So we would go to screeners like when they were setting up the festival, we would go and um, you know, I'd sh- show up to work and he'd be like, Oh, we're, let's go to a screening instead. you know. So, <laughs> so we would just leave and go for a screening and, You know, um, he would he would take these 10 minute naps as well, like cat naps. He was like, can you wake me up in 10 minutes? And like taught me about how like that's like like a way to have like longevity in your life is to take these little cat naps. All of this to say, anyway, it was amazing working with Les those few months. But he was like one of the original people who like picked up Alice Waters from the airport when she came back from France and was like talking about this idea of opening the restaurant and opening up Chez Panisse. So he was part of that early world, and then I ended up working at Edible Schoolyard, which Did is you work. Work with her there, was she? Um, she it's it's her program, so she yeah. would come through all the time, yeah. guest and visitors, and you know we would have to do fundraisers and all sorts of things. So yeah, she's really hands on. Yeah, she was pretty hands on. Um, what she liked to work with, um, you know, she's a visionary, and working sometimes with those with visionaries they have their vision and um, <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh, I'm being so diplomatic. You they have their say vision. something good. Don't say anything. <laughs> no, no, <laughs> no, she's, no, she's she's here. incredible and she's doing so much incredible work. But um, at the time, I feel like she's gotten a lot better, but at the time she really had that tunnel vision of like her way of doing things, you know, like the food was like all lo- which I think is important to have local organic you know, as close to home as possible, and like making everything by hand and from scratch as much as possible. But like, once I had a child, and the reality of life—you know, working and being a parent—like a lot of her vision is, you know, definitely like woo, la, la la land. You know, we're not going to be frying eggs in a fire in the kitchen and a spoon, <laughs> like <laughs> when I'm trying to get out the door in the morning. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but I do appreciate her idea of like setting this model and these standards, like, so aspirational, you know, not everyone is going to fry an egg and a spoon in their, you know, hearth in their kitchen, <laughs> but, um, you know, we can all aspire to eat better and have more pleasure around food. Yeah.
0: So. Yeah. You shoot for the stars and you end up somewhere just below that. And it's still pretty good.
1: Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So. But it really felt like one of those, like, in the right place at the right moments, because it was just like, you know, it kind of was in the limelight when all of the food stuff really started happening. And what year started. was that? That was in 2004, um, mm-hmm. 2005, maybe, when I started working there. Yeah, 2005. Awesome. Yeah. That so we had, so like, cool. you know, we'd have all these crazy guests come through, like the Prince came, Prince Charles came through and. Oh, I think you were going to say Prince. I was like, I'm impressed. Prince well, Charles that would be no amazing if Prince came through. That that would be the, that would be the best. But that Prince um, Charles, I, who cares? Prince Charles, yeah, yeah exactly. Good, but um, you know, and I, like there was a time Barishnikov came, and that was pretty amazing to have him like pass a platter of food. You know, his arm, the way the he like, the, it, unreal. You know, just like a platter of salad coming across the table from him. You you know, seeing the way his arm, it was just incredible.
0: Amazing.
1: Yeah. Barishnikov, Wow. Yeah. I can
0: imagine what his physicality would be like in person. I mean, my God.
1: Yeah. No, I was shocked. I, um, you know, I, I, I did dance when I was a kid and was really into ballet and everything in the (laughs) seventies. And so to like meet him in real life, that was probably one of the bigger like joys of my experience there and to get to talk to him and, um, see how he moved. I think that was the really exciting thing about it. Like even just at the table, like how someone like that who's so in tune with their body can move. Yeah. So speaking of when you were a child, you grew up in Washington, D.C. Yeah. I grew up like outside of D.C. in Maryland. I was born in D.C., but then like a lot of black folks, my family moved out to um, the suburbs and left the city um, during the seventies. And then, um, yeah, so I grew up out. I actually grew up right by the Cap Center. So if you've ever seen Heavy Metal Parking Lot, <laughs> right? Yes. Yeah, Joe Valley.
0: I remember talking with him. and He was talking about that he knew kids that were in that movie. I think he said that.
1: Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, yeah, That's so I mean, I uh, Largo is that it? Yeah, Largo. Largo. So I grew up like uh, like walking distance to the Capitol Center. My brother actually used to work like selling t-shirts and things like that at all the rock, big rock shows. And I actually got to, I would go with my mom to pick him up from work. And I distinctly remember being this little, you know, like, I don't know, it was so different then. She would drive up and she would want to stay in the car because it's cold or whatever. And she would just send me in like to this, stadium to go look for my brother <laughs> like at a van halen concert or something? <laughs> yes exactly like at a van halen concert like i i remember walking in to a rolling stones concert like through the like place where they load the load in deck you know like the dock or whatever with the trucks and just like being like 10 years old or whatever just Looking like for your brother <laughs> exactly yes. How the like, hell did you find him <laughs> well i knew that they would be like at at a certain point oh, at I a certain see. time we would meet at a place and i would just like go find him in their like break room or whatever but to get there you had to like walk through <laughs> and, you know you could kind of get a peek at the stage and see
0: yeah. ask keith where he's at <laughs> exactly <laughs> <laughs> that's cute what was the first concert you went to and um, my first
1: one, it's funny that you mentioned Joe Lally because I re- need to get in touch with him. My first concert was Jackson Five at Shady Grove, which is the place that Joe talked about going. Oh, yeah. So I think Joe was at that show, my first show when uh, it was like 1976 when I was like six years old. It was for my sixth birthday. Wow, that's <laughs> a pretty good first concert. Yeah,
0: it was amazing. So Mike, a little bit older, Michael. So yeah,
1: yeah. Yeah. And, and Janet and Latoya there, the whole family was there. They all did a little something and it was in the round. Oh, wow. The place was amazing.
0: Was the show just incredible?
1: It was incredible. It was really, really incredible. Yeah. yeah. Some serious <laughs> entertainment chops there. <laughs> yeah. So that was the first one. And then, and then, I don't know, I just started, you know, I got to see things like the go-go's or whatever and kind of, started going to other types of shows, Duran Duran, that type of thing. And then punk shows. When
0: did the punk thing begin for you? What, what was your introduction to?
1: It it was my brother again, you know, having, having an older brother, he was really into skateboarding in the seventies. And then naturally kind of started getting into punk at some point, probably around 82. um, And then like, I just kind of watched him get into it and then like, I remember standing in his room and like looking at all the flyers on the wall and um, looking at, you know, uh, I remember looking at the lyric sheet, the minor threat lyric sheet on the wall and just wondering like, what is this all about? You know? And then finally just getting to go with them because I think my mom was out of town or something. And, and um, I just went with them and got to see like, I think marginal man and void and GI or something like that was my first show. And then you, you make of it it just made a lot of sense to me. I'm not sure why it made a lot of sense, but it, it, I was like, Oh, this is what I'm supposed to do. I'm supposed to go do this all the time. You know, whatever, when is another one happening? You know? um, How old were you when you went to that show? I was 13. Yeah. I was 13. So, um, and I think it was just like the, the, the volume, the like the sense of everyone not fitting in you know? And I was like, Oh, these are my people. I don't fit in either. you know. <laughs> so here I am. And, uh, it just made sense to me somehow. It's exciting too. Yeah. It was really exciting. I yeah. mean,
0: they're small shows too. It's, it's that's all because I, I cut my teeth seeing punk shows first, you know, that was I didn't like, you know, grow up going to rock concerts and then mm-hmm. go to punk is like my first shows were punk shows. And so I was right. so used to like, you go see your favorite band and there they are 10 feet from you and yeah, you know, yeah. and there's a hundred or 300 people, maybe, you know, it's so much more intimate than going to see, you know, Van Halen at the cap center.
1: Yeah. Yeah, exactly. We're exactly. And it seemed, and it made like, I was at the time I was, um, kind of getting into playing music as well, because mm-hmm. when I was in elementary school, I went to a great elementary school and we had a lot of access to like filmmaking supplies. So we were mm. able to make like super eight and video and, all of that, and just got really into filmmaking. And then when I, for some reason, when I got to junior high, of course, like institutions, they were just like, no, you have to be in eighth grade to use this equipment. Some like bullshit rule or something like that made it so that I couldn't make films anymore. So I um, started playing music. I joined the orchestra and started playing flute and then started playing bassoon and just uh, quickly learned um, that I could, kind of I loved picking up instruments and just trying out different instruments. What were your early films like? Do you have any of them still? I don't have any of them. I wish I did. I was really into animation. So I remember making an um a Rubik's Cube animation like, like where it was moving stuff. where it was moving by itself, you know, mm-hmm. and stop motion things and then um I made a silly kung fu movie with my brother and his friends. Classics. You know where they were, you know, doing push-ups on the wall, you know, to make it look like another camera. Sideways. Special <laughs> effects. Yeah. I was really into that. And then, um, yeah. <laughs> and, you know, it was like, it was a big deal. I think my mom still has an article because I, you know, won awards at film festivals and things like the oh, wow. youth film festivals. And it really was quashed by my junior high. Like it just like, I think that, and it, that type of thing informs me in my teaching to this Mm. day. Like I always say yes. Even I say yes. First, the kids ask me a question. I'm like, yeah, yeah, we could do that. And then like, I have to think about like, wait, why can't we do that? (laughs) Is there a reason why we can't, you know Um, where I think some teachers come at it from? No, absolutely not. You know, it's, it's definitely, it hasn't caused me too much trouble, but one time at edible schoolyard, Some kids, I didn't know about the cinnamon challenge and kids came in and they were like, can we try Miss Thomas, Miss Thomas, can we have some, can we have some cinnamon? I'm like, yeah, sure. (laughs) absolutely." (laughs) Let's do it on top
0: of a bunch of milk crates and stacked up high and and we'll throw ice water over us at the same time. Get all the memes in there. I
1: was like, one time my like saying yes before thinking about it. And then like a kid is like coughing and choking and throwing up. I'm like, oh no.
0: What is the cinnamon challenge? You just eat like a massive amount of you it. Try you try to eat
1: a spoonful of cinnamon possibly, and it's like impossible. Right. Your you mouth know? just
0: dries completely and yeah, <laughs> yeah. you choke. And you choke. <laughs> you breathe exactly. in it. Oh God, it sounds horrible. It's terrible. <laughs> I tried doing the nutmeg challenge um, eating nutmeg after I read the autobiography of Malcolm X and he talks about doing, yeah. e- doing nutmeg in jail because it has a in prison because yeah. it has, you know, some hallucinogenic quality. Yeah. And we didn't get. Any effect. I don't think we took enough, thankfully, but (laughs) it sounds like a terrible high, too. The way he describes it, it's like, you know, your joints ache and you're terrible. You don't do that because you, if you have options of other ways to get high.
1: Exactly. It's like the last resort. (laughs)
0: Like you're in prison in the 50s. That's why you do
1: that. Exactly. Oh my goodness.
0: Amazing. We all survived these challenges.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: So you start playing bassoon and flute and things like that. <laughs> yeah. When did you switch to rock instruments like the drums which you played in Harvey?
1: Um, yeah, I then tried playing guitar. Somehow a guitar ended up at our house. I'm not sure how. Acoustic guitar? Uh no, it was an electric guitar. It was an old mm. like less copy, less Paul copy mm-hmm. like piece of garbage with you know strings are like six inches from the fretboard <laughs> kind of thing. Um and I I remember plugging it into my stereo (laughs) because we didn't have an amp, of course, and uh, started playing that a little bit. And then uh, some other kids from my neighborhood who had also started going to shows, someone had a drum set and ended up in my basement and um, we formed a little neighborhood band. And I was, I'm left-handed. So I was like, with the guitar like every time like just sort of switching back and forth i never found my comfort zone because i would like strum one way and like that doesn't work Ugh, let's go the other way let's go the-. and um one day we were trying to play a song and my friend bobby she was playing drums or attempting to play drums and i was like you should play it like this you know and i went over and i showed her and i was like oh i'm supposed to be playing drums <laughs> you know it just felt so much more natural than the guitar at that yeah. time oh, that's so that's awesome then- Yeah. So then I like saved up and got a drum set, and the rest they say is history. (laughs) What was the first? Well, you have the neighborhood bands, your first band. Did they have a name? Did you ever like? No, we never had a name. Just kids getting together. Just kids getting together, making like screaming noise. And then I played in a band called Lebensluce with some guys from Positive Force um and then i played in in pieces with ian Spinonius and a couple other guys um and each of these bands played like a handful of shows Mm -hmm. and then after in pieces and we played some bigger shows like I, i believe we played with like you know dag nasty and rites of spring and you know we played i don't know somehow we got on these bills and then um and then Gee introduced me to Natalie one night outside of DC space. And we played, then I started playing with fire party. Were they already, ex- did they already exist or? They you- had already been trying to like play some music together a little bit. Um, and I can't remember who had tried playing drums with them. Um, yeah. I don't remember, but then we, you know, we, we, it was, it, things were really fast then, you know, the time seemed to just move. Like the time didn't move quickly, but the way that, we were able to plan and do things. It was just like, I think I talked to Guy on like a Thursday night. And by like the next Monday we were practicing, you know? Um, and, uh, and then once we had one practice, we were like, okay, let's practice three days a week, you know, Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday or whatever it was, you know, and we just kind of did it religiously until we we weren't even thinking like we would have you know we would go on tour right, make records or even play shows out we were just like we're just playing in the basement and see what happens and then just we did a little bit little by little you know all of the things started to happen what
0: was your first show with fire party
1: um, I think we played at DC space with king face maybe yeah I think it was with king face at DC space
0: what year was that was this revolution summer quote-unquote
1: this was like it had to be like eighty-seven or eighty-eight. Okay, so after a little bit after that, A little bit after, yeah, it was eighty-seven or eighty-eight, I think, or was it eighty-six? I don't know. That uh, I'm sure it's written down somewhere. <laughs> I should know. Um, but it. I remember we were. Uh, we were also nervous, you know. But the thing that that I always remember is that so many people were really supportive. You know, like Ian was so supportive, and the Kingface guys were so supportive. Everyone was there, so it didn't feel like once we started playing, it didn't feel scary anymore. But it was always, I think, we would psych ourselves out up and work ourselves up beforehand, um, and panic ourselves. <laughs> but once, once we actually were doing it, it was fine. Yeah. <laughs> the build-up, you know. <laughs> yeah,
0: when I talked with Allison Wolf about um, her time in Olympia, she was talking about that with Bratmobile, how the supportive quality in Olympia was so strong that you kind of couldn't not play live and go out and do it because everybody's like, who cares? Just do it. Yeah. And I think that's a big part of the DC Olympia kinship is that attitude.
1: Yeah. Yeah, exactly. They're definitely, I mean, I feel like, you know, the DC has that, like, um, it's not an easy place, you know, people were definitely have really high standards for music. And I re- I remember just being like at points, as a teenager, just like, I only listen to DC punk, you know, like just having this like snooty uh, component to it. Um, So it was, it was good to, to like be a part of like being a band where we were such beginners and be supportive and like also kind of, kind of break down that barrier of expertise or like being, having to be really good at something before you do it. With Fire Party, was that the first time you ever went into a recording studio? Um, no, I went in with the other bands. I feel like in Pieces may have done a demo at some mm-hmm. point, um, which I should ask Ian Spinonius about that. But um, but then I went in and I played like some percussion and did some backing vocals with Beef Eater. Yeah, right. So I, that must have been in '85 when I did that, because I feel like I was 15 or something when that. I was like, like, if you look at the back of that cover, I really am a child. <laughs> it's kind of like, what is yeah, that right. little child doing on the record? <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true, huh? What is that kid doing there? <laughs> so you were only 15 at that point. Yeah, yeah, wow. exactly. So, and then when Fire Party started, it must have been 16. i Yeah, I had to be 16 because when we went on our first big European tour, I was 17. I wasn't even 18 yet. Wow. What was that like? It was amazing. Um, It's funny to think back on it now. I'm just like, wow! I can't believe I was able to do that. Like, I remember just little things, like I got to ask my grandmother to help me go to like Montgomery Ward's to get a sleeping bag for this (laughs) (laughs) tour. Had you ever been to Europe before? I don't. I had been to Europe. I went when I was. I went on an exchange program when I was in seventh grade. Um, so I had been to Europe before or I'd been to France before. Mm -hmm. And of course, part of that stems directly back to that, like love of Julia child and French cooking and all of that. And, and I remember when I started taking French, I was like, I have to go, I have to go, you have to go go eat there. (laughs) Did you eat there a lot when you, when you went? Yeah. When I was, when, when I was doing the exchange thing, yeah, I ate a lot (laughs) and got to, kind of have those same kind of epiphanies that a lot of cooking folks have of like, what the hell is going on with this butter? Why is it like 6 billion times better than the butter that we have? You know, why is the bread a million times better? Why? What's going on here?
0: And you discovered the word terroir. Yeah, exactly.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Taste of the earth.
0: Yeah, no, I remember the first time I went to Europe as a teenager, I was like 18 and, you know, on the West Coast, it's a bigger deal to get to Europe. It's like, oh my God, how do you get over there? but I got there and I remember eating just like an apple at an outdoor stand in France. And like, I'm from Washington state. Why yeah. is this apple so much better than anything I've ever eaten? Maybe it's the setting, but there's yeah. a thing where it's just the standards there for everything is like so high.
1: Yeah. It's a really, really high standard, the quality of the food. So um, yeah. Um, but then when, when fire party was there, it was like that first tour, it was winter time. I was seventeen. We were with Scream, and um, I just remember we and we played damn near everywhere. We were gone for like three months. Wow! And um, I just really learned a lot. I was very very quiet then, just like insular and just like watching the world, taking it all in. And um, but I I feel like it just uh, exposed me to so much, you know, especially like different ideas of living. And being, Were you in staying at like crazy
0: before. anarchist squats everywhere. Yep,
1: absolutely, staying at squats, listening to like Napalm Death demos at like <laughs> what, five in the morning or whatever it is. You
0: know? <laughs> Smoking. What do they call them? a uh, the mix of what is it called? Mix of marijuana and and uh, tobacco that everybody smoked. Oh, yeah. The but, hash,
1: like smoking hash yeah. cigarettes, you know, <laughs> yeah. of course. Yeah. <laughs> Listening to Napalm Death Demo. <laughs>
0: exactly. What was your favorite place that you, or the most amazing place that you stayed, or the most weird? Or?
1: Well, I think, um, I mean, uh, uh, Amsterdam was like our home base. So we really felt at home there. There was a squat called Van Hall that um, we you know, play there and like, we would eat dinner there every night and hang out. And we all went to this bar together and played pool. And just so when it, we would go out for a couple of weeks at a time, like go to Germany or go to Scandinavia and then come back and have a couple of days off in Amsterdam. Oh, cool. So it felt kind of like a home base, but one squat that always stuck out to me was one in tubing in, in Germany. Um, like what those folks did to that place was just incredible. I mean, they had like a venue and they, had a living space that you know lots of artists and political people and they like had started to redo the bathrooms they had these incredible mosaics and these bath like this t- i just remember this tub that had steps walking up to it and mosaic tiles all around and just you know hearing the um town square clock chiming all the time like just really and having incredible food and conversations. And, um, it was just such an incredible lifestyle. Um, yeah,
0: I remember going to Europe that trip, um, when I was a teenager and I stayed at a place in Amsterdam, outside Amsterdam called the ADX. Do you, do you mm-hmm. remember that place? I don't, do you, don't do remember you that to, place. It was a huge squat. Yeah. It was, um, ADX, I wonder, was that the name? AD, or what's the big, like, it's like a huge food district global corporation. Maybe it's not ADX, a something, but it had yeah. three initials and it was like, yeah. um, you know, one of these massive corporate kind of campuses that, you know, there's some law in Holland where if a place is vacant for five years or something, it's open to whoever wants to take it. Wow! And, and as an American, I was just like, <laughs> you know, because even though I'm a punk rocker, I'm totally, you know, questioning everything about America. It's like, I still was just so blown away by how different it was over there and how much just straight up better it was like Mm -hmm. in so many ways. And I was like, wow, we really live a, like we would just never fly. You know, there's no way you're going to move into some yeah. like, Oh, it's empty for five years. It's yours. Now you can do a, and that place was the same way. Like you were describing with the place in Germany where they had like a recording studio, a venue, a nightclub, a bar, you know, I think there was two recording studios and then living arrangements for, you know, 25 people and
1: yep just incredible it's really incredible and and for us it was like a big deal to get a house together and rent a house together and have roommates or something like that was like maybe with the practice space in the basement you know that was like as far as we could push that kind of thinking um but it it was just to be exposed to that so early on you know And just know, like, wow, there's so much more happening in the world. But on the flip side, like, I've been, you know, doing a lot of writing about this time and working on a memoir for a while now about it. And on the flip side, like, because I was so young and so naive, there was so much going on that I had no idea about, like, like skinhead shit and like racist shit and like mm. fascist shit neo-nazi shit you know all this stuff that was happening in england during the 80s now that i think back on it i'm like oh my god we were just like cruising around and i like was kind of oblivious to all that was happening in some ways politically and socially in those places and in some ways it's good that i was oblivious because then i was like able to experience it but in other ways i'm like wow that was really lucky you know that nothing bad ever happened mm -hmm. you know did you ever get messed with by that those elements no i mean the worst thing that happened once in poland um you know someone called me some names in a market once yeah uh but otherwise poland was kind of in poland still very intense as far as um, being accepting of difference so yeah it's got some serious problems today got the, some serious uh, problems now you know and it created, did that yeah, as well just, yeah yeah but yeah, it was I
0: remember, like, was it for uh, ian talking about their crazy experience in poland getting like saved from like this massive skin and running out the <laughs> oh, yeah. across a field to escape like these
1: yeah yeah yeah, we didn't have any experiences like that, which is remarkable, you know, other than that, for me, that moment in the market, which was not very, it was terrible. Um, but it was also juxtaposed with like having these incredible shows there with, you know, thousand people or something and being kind of treated like royalty and just like, what, you guys don't even know who we are. We're just kind of like plinking along our songs, you know, um, but and just connecting with people through music was pretty incredible amazing yeah three months
0: in europe when you're 17 playing shows everywhere
1: yeah yeah Uh, yeah so i think i turned 18 when i got home (laughs) which is funny to think of Um, yeah so so you said you're working on a memoir now yeah yeah
0: what tell me about that project what Um, inspired it when did you start
1: well i've always written on the side a little bit and then um i started it years ago, it mostly started out where I was writing kind of my food story, really. But then I realized that so much of my food story is wrapped up into my punk story. Um, so I've been working on that. And, and also, a lot of like racial reckoning, think looking back and thinking about how, um, how I've grown and changed and thinking about my identity as a black person, a black punk um, in the world, and like how how I was as a kid versus now.
0: What did you, have you learned or what insights Um, have you come to? I mean,
1: one of the big insights was I, I, I really was, it was an interesting experience to be able to travel through the world, not knowing very much, you know, about the racial history of places or dynamics or things that I was walking into or driving through, or, you know, obviously there are definitely times, especially in touring the States where you, you, um, where I had a sense like, hmm, maybe this isn't the safest place for me to like go pump the gas, somebody else should pump the gas here, you know. Um, but uh, I just think back now, like, I, I'm kind of thinking about how, like, thinking about my own kid and what she knows in the world, and traveling around, and just thinking about how. Um, I just was able to do a lot of things because I didn't know any better. But now I also know why my mom and my grandmother and my family was so worried. You know, they often would just be like, you're doing what, you know, but no one stopped me. That's the, that's the amazing thing. Like I would say, I'm going to China or I'm going on a tour to this place or that place. And, you know, there definitely was like worry, you know, I can just sense that everyone was worried, but no one ever stopped me. That's good yeah which is good you know um and then i think back i even did things like when i was god was i 15 i was 15 or 16 i somehow became friends with the guys in red cross because they had a friend uh, amy pickering used to work at 930 club and i was going to visit her at work and i think red cross was playing that night and i didn't even i was you know i knew their first ep and thought it was cool but um, I think there was some other show at DC space that night that I was going to go to. So I wasn't even going to go to their show, but as I was walking down that long, did you ever go to the old Nine Thirty club, that long yes, hallway, hallway, you know, mm-hmm. walking down the long hallway and like, they were coming out and they were like Janice Jones. And I guess Janice Jones and the disposals. We look a lot alike, mm-hmm. which I've seen pictures of her. and like, wow, we do like when we were kids, you know, when she was younger and um, we just started talking and became friends and pen pals and like, um and i like i was 16 and i was like they're like come to new york with us come to philly with us and i was just like get in the van with them you know this band <laughs> and i just went and and sell shirts for them like i went from dc to did I, I don't know if we went all the way to canada but i did go to i know i went up to boston so i must have done dc philly new york boston and then go back down to north carolina and just travel around with them and like i've you know was hanging out with steve McDonald. You know in the past few years and we were talking about it's it just like it's pretty incredible that they were like kind and innocent enough that it, there was no nefarious activity happening with this child traveling around with them. And, and and also it was like pretty just lucky for me that they were like that, you know, and that we just like hung out talking about TV and music and you know having a laugh.
0: Amazing. And your mom was, was down with you just going.
1: Well, that I remember then I, you know, I remember being like, I'm just going to go up to Philly. And then I went to Philly and then I didn't come back for a few Mm. days. (laughs) It was like, I'm just going to go to New York. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just going to go to Boston. I'm just (laughs) going to deal with the
0: punishment later. Exactly.
1: Yeah. Yeah, exactly.
0: That's so cool.
1: (laughs) Yeah. That's awesome. So how old is your daughter now? She's 11, about to turn 12. Oh, I see. I see. So I start thinking about these things because, you know, I was like 13 when I was going to shows and 15 when I was traveling around, you know, 16. Um, so yeah. Start yeah. Thinking.
0: Seeing uh, who you were at a certain age and with having a child. I mean, I was talking with my niece, who's 13, and yesterday at Thanksgiving, and I was asking her, you know, what her favorite bands are. And she's like, I like bands from the 80s. And like you know, what do you? What's your favorite '80s band? She said the Dead Kennedys, and I was like, "How do you? How did you find the Dead Kennedys? You know, like of all the bands, because I didn't like send her to punk stuff, you know." Yeah. And she was just telling me about you know a friend said that they were cool, and she listened to them, and then she d- did a little research, and I was just thinking, and I was telling her about like what it took for me when I was her age to find bands, and yeah, and I was just thinking about yeah, I mean obviously when you're out with kids nowadays, you're like what is it like to be a child today uh, with the internet and social media and texting and video games and just, you know, it's just such a different world. But yeah, we were talking about that adventure and I was describing to her, you know, my trips to Seattle to explore and try and find information. Just you had to do it on foot, you know? And she's like, Oh God, that's so weird. I can't, (laughs) but (laughs) uh, yeah, but for her, you know, she's like, time's kind of, it's, just different you know like bands from the 80s they're just that's just a type of band and some of the bands that she didn't even know were from the 80s but um
1: yeah that's funny (laughs) to not know that they're from the 80s yeah (laughs) yeah,
0: she was naming a few other bands that she likes and what kind of music does your daughter listen to
1: she's funny she um she really likes black sabbath (laughs) and and kind of heavier stuff Mm -hmm. um she's recently discovered nirvana so that's been kind of interesting talking to her about Them and uh, she's really, really insightful and has a really good ear. uh, That we were listening to to Nirvana in the car, and she said, "You know, Mom, his voice is just perfectly imperfect." And I was like, "Yeah, I know." (laughs) You know, and and it was like a heartbreaking moment, you know, Uh, because it's also like, how much do you tell? How much do you um, share? Like, I want her to enjoy whatever music that she enjoys, but some of it has like really personal intensity for me, you know. Yeah.
0: Does she play but, an instrument or want to?
1: Um she played piano for a while, but then our piano teacher moved to Baltimore. Um and I never got it back together to get her um piano lessons again. But she has a guitar. She can she can definitely she has a musical ear for sure and can pick up things pretty quickly. Um sounds like
0: it. Yeah. So you said earlier that you went to China. Did you was that the trip with Cynthia? Did you guys go yeah. together?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah that's that infamous trip with Cynthia. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me about that. I don't know if it's infamous, but in our minds, we just, we literally still talk about it like every couple of weeks. We bring it up. Like we talk on the phone a couple times a week. How long in was China, that trip? What's that? You went to Russia and China, right? No, she went to Russia. We, oh, okay. we And I just went to China with her. We went oh, to I China see. and Thailand together and Hong Kong. Like, what, was I taking China? I started taking Chinese because I was taking some classes at UDC non-Chinese classes. And all of, a lot of the professors were um, from mainland China. And I was really, it wasn't the, many of the folks, the Chinese folks in DC were, had can't spoke Cantonese. So they had Cantonese, Chinese accents and the ones, these professors had Mandarin accents. And I was curious, I was like, wow, this is sounds so different. So then the next semester I was like, I'm going to take Chinese to see what it's like, you know? So then I started taking it for um, a year or so. And then Cynthia and I were talking about it at a party, and then we just like decided on the spot to go to China. And uh, <laughs> and we that was in ninety two So it was a lot different. We were talking recently about how we were on that cusp of the uh, economic change. There was this one point we were on top of this mountain, Moon Hill. And we like hiked up and we got to the top. And there was a little kid, dusty little kid up at the top selling Coca-Cola. And I just remember like, this is something is happening here, you know, in China at this moment, because the way that commerce is functioning is not what I expected it to be. This is like some kind of uh hocus pocus capitalism that's happening that um, you know, at the time, of course, we had no idea what an economic engine China was going to be, you know, but there was definitely hints of it while we were there. Yeah. Um, So it was like really at that cusp of things. There were still bikes, you know, we were biking all the time, walking on trains, you know, there weren't a ton of cars. Um, So it was really at that like turning point.
0: Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's cool to see a country before, (laughs) I mean, such a radical era of change. Yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah, and we and that trip. I mean, it really profoundly wanted uh, solidified our friendship. You know, we're obviously lifelong friends and want we'll travel and hang out as much as we can. Um, but like, it was just such a eye opening experience in a different way than touring. You know, like touring, I got to see the world through through a scene and through a community, through like a global punk community, but through this. Just the two of us, like backpacking with like a couple T-shirts and a backpack through China, was um, seeing the place in a completely different way and in a completely different level of vulnerability. Um, Yeah, nobody speaks English. Nobody speaks (laughs) English. Yeah. And we speak our like broken Chinese, you know. What did people uh, make of you guys? (laughs) I think people had no idea what to make of us.
0: Were there many other backpackers going around?
1: There were some backpackers. Mm -hmm. There were a lot of couple of Israelis that we encountered. Uh, We befriended the Swiss guy who I think Cynthia is still in contact with him. Um, We hung out with him for a few days, but we did a lot of like off the beaten path things. You know, we spent so much time planning it and, uh, use, you know, use the lonely planet back then to kind of plan our things. And then, uh, we encountered like travelers who gave us suggestions of other things to do along the way, you know, like walking through the tiger leaping gorge. And then like at one point, Cynthia got sick and I, I don't even know, I was delirious. Like, she was like, I'll just stay. You keep going through the gorge. Like, why did we separate? I should have stayed with her. Like in my mind. <laughs> What's that? She got food poisoning or something. And she was like, you go on, go on with them and I'll meet you at blah, blah, blah town. I'm like, okay. You know, like she was going to take the bus back to the town and meet back. But in, you know, like probably like halfway through that first day that I was like walking through this gorge with other backpackers, I realized like I should have stayed with Cynthia, but it was like too late to turn around and go back and like Um, so, so there was a lot of, um, just letting things, letting the winds guide us and direct us and like fate, keeping us alive.
0: Amazing. I remember Cynthia talking about her Russia and China trip and saying that she was really surprised that infrastructure was better in China and worse in Russia than she, she thought it would be the opposite.
1: Yeah. 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 There was, um, they were starting to really build things up. There was one point we were on this bus ride, in Yunnan province I think or Sichuan and we were it was very mountainous very dicey roads very very um uh carsick inducing and I was falling asleep and I was sitting by the window and the little old woman in front of me like just hurled out the window and at the last minute Cynthia slammed the window <laughs> shut <laughs> It comes on the glass, and I'm like, oh my god, you know, well, cool. saved my life. Um, but then <laughs> but then so, so we're on exotic this. Vomit. Yeah, we're on this dusty, dusty, dusty road, and then we pull into this pristine, smooth paved car wash right outside of the city so that the bus could get washed before going into the, it was absurd it was you know like to think like this is the part of the infrastructure that you decided to like build up right now after we just came off of those treacherous roads you've decided to put a car wash (laughs) so there was a lot of um
0: gussy up the bus before you hit civilization
1: before you hit civilization so um there was a lot of things like that and uh, you know, incredible times. We went to a monastery in one of the holy mountains there and stayed there for a few days. Like a Buddhist monastery? Or yeah. It was incredible. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Hmm.
0: So did, w- did you have any interactions with the Chinese state at that point, which was actually more of a communist state back then? I mean, now it's like, um, just as we, capitalism.
1: once we got into the country, not so much, but one going in, you know, the, just even little things like, you know, we had, um, I think Cynthia had some oranges tied to her backpack and like that caused a whole thing like we got pulled off to the side they filled out all these papers you know and like confiscated the oranges and like like stacks of papers as a result of two oranges um but once we got in we we were able to like pretty much travel around without um, too much worry
0: speaking of cooking and such did you what was your chinese uh, eating experiences did you have any amazing or yeah I mean the food than, was in,
1: <laughs> yeah I mean definitely the food was incredible I mean, there were times that we were in some little village and I had the most amazing dumplings and i I think I was at the time I was like vegetarian and, and mostly vegetarian now, but like I was like I was also respectful vegetarian so if like someone offered me something like because people would buy us stuff and offer us stuff on the train. And I just couldn't say, no. you know, I would just eat whatever mystery meat just because I didn't want to be impolite. But we had like incredible dumplings, incredible. Uh, there was a place that had this like just fresh yogurt that they had made, this yogurt drink and like um, like the greens we would have, you know, every night seasonal greens or steamed steamed fish, crazy tofu things in Hong Kong. I mean, it was just pretty amazing. Like the food was really good. Wow, but your- there was also bizarre things like. What chemicals. was the most bizarre thing? Well, like there was things like we 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 were on this boat once and we like loaded up. We got this bread and it was t- just tasted like chemicals. We just called it chemical bread, you know. <laughs> you know? <laughs> like, we finally got hell? it open. We're just like, oh my god, it's chemical bread. You know? <laughs> <laughs> it's like gasoline. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And then you know we had um, in Hong Kong. We, uh, Cynthia knew some people from travels before in the way that Cynthia does, you know, Uh, these guys who taught her how to play mahjong. So like the first night that we were in Hong Kong, they took us out and we played mahjong with them and they took us to a place and we, they had us eating like goose intestines and like other things that were pretty intense. And, um, but I just remember being like really open, just like, okay, just going to like do whatever we need to do to get by, you know, and, and, and try it all.
0: And how did your stomach fare? Did you have uh, any, I,
1: I didn't have any, wow. any while I was there. Yeah. Nice. I mean, that, the only thing that made me a little queasy was when we took, we had to take larium, which is like this, you know, anti-malarial pill. Oh, right. Um, and that definitely that at some point, one point we stopped taking it because it made both of us delirious. Like we were Yeah, both, I heard like, that that's, that happens. Yeah, it made us like pretty loopy. And we we were just like, we have to, we have to stop taking this, you know, it was like toxic. Oof. But we also went to um, Thailand before we had this like elaborate plan to go to Hong Kong and try to be extras in films. <laughs> and, um, but all of our contacts kind of fell through and, uh, and they were having these like torrential storms and floods and, while we were there. So we left to go to Thailand and, we were supposed to stay in Thailand for the weekend and we ended up staying for 10 days and joked about not going to China <laughs> and just staying in <laughs> Thailand and never coming back. <laughs> you you
0: enjoyed yourself there.
1: It was just, I had never experienced that level of um, calm and peace of uh, amazing food, amazing, amazingly kind people. And uh, we, when we got to, we went to a little Island and we, stayed in a bungalow for you know three dollars a night or whatever and spent time in hammocks and playing cards with people and in water and eating green papaya salad you know it's just it was just kind of paradise where um, was that in thailand that was in a, on a little island called Ao nuan and at the time it was mostly a place that thai people went um, oh, on vacation so like it was mostly thai people kind of hanging out for the weekend and and um and we stayed there we wanted to stay there as long as possible it was just and it actually we turned it into a verb when we got home this like calm sense is one, you know when you're calm and relaxed That's the and, name of that state <laughs> the name of that place yeah did you do other traveling with Cynthia um yeah we did some desert travel Later on, like, you know, I moved, I lived in Seattle when, after China, that's when I moved to Seattle and um, actually I just realized I need to plug in my computer, but um, I moved to Seattle and then Cynthia would come out and visit me. And then we would do things like we drove to Montana a couple of times to Glacier National Park and um, went to some hot springs and um, I we went to some hot springs in Idaho where there was like really dicey, uh, dicey graffiti you know that's again like that traveling around in places just kind of like now i think back to it i'm like oh my god (laughs) it could have went a lot worse than it did um and then we drove there was once we drove this was a fun trip we went we were in arizona and we were down at the border in douglas and we drove all dirt roads to get to a Fugazi show in phoenix (laughs) and it was like that classic feeling of like being on these dirt roads in Arizona and like feeling like a different kind of road worn, so that when we got to the Fugazi show, it was like, uh, I don't even want to be at a show, you know. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Been out in the isolation of the
1: desert. Yeah, 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 yeah. But um, that was, but we, again, we were down by the border. I remembered seeing like migrants passing through and we left water. Thinking back, it's like, wow, if our car broke down, we could have really had some serious issues. No we cell were really, phones then? No cell phones, no. Yeah. <laughs> no cell phones.
0: Yeah, that's another thing looking back. Just like going, we did all that stuff without cell phones.
1: <laughs> we did it all without cell phones. And like the first fire party tour, I mean, even like from day one, like Kate and I, we flew into England to... um Uh, stay with a dear friend of mine who recently passed away, but he like last year and, but he um, met us at Heathrow. We went back out to his place. And then we had this plan. Like we practiced on Thursday night and like Amy was leaving. Natalie was like, all right, see you in Amsterdam on Wednesday or whatever it was, whatever the day. And so I thought that Kate knew where we were going in Amsterdam. Kate thought that I knew where we were going in Amsterdam. (laughs) So we get to Amsterdam's like, okay, where are we going? I don't know. I thought you. <laughs> so, what did you do? So within minutes we were like, well, I guess, you know, we were like looking at our, looking at the time we had gotten there at six in the morning or something. And we were just kind of like, well, it's the middle of the night in DC or whatever. Let's wait until it's a reasonable time. And we'll call Ian. <laughs> so we called Ian and he told us what to do. <laughs> where do we go? <laughs> exactly.
0: <laughs> That's funny. Kate Samworth, uh, a fire party. Your fire party um, bandmate. She's such an amazing artist.
1: Yeah, you should her have her on your stuff. podcast. It's I'd lo- unbelievable. Yeah.
0: It really is.
1: Yeah, that. And did you ever see her book? It's cr- amazing. It's called Aviary Wonders.
0: Aviary Wonders. No, I haven't seen that.
1: Yeah, and she has a new one out too. That came out on Akashic. Yeah. So cool. Yeah, she's an incredible artist. The scratchboard. And- it's just it's like scratchboarding an image
0: out of this it just seems to appear
1: yeah and she's been um posting like images of her actually doing it lately so it's like seeing her how she does it is pretty amazing yeah it's Sounds really fun. really incredible
0: I'm a, I'm a freak for gnomes and anything gnomic <laughs> <laughs> she does some great fairy tale type she does yeah
1: <laughs> she's got a lot going on in that brain <laughs> oh,
0: wonderful yeah that's just part of it right yeah incredible
1: Yeah, exactly. Wait, when did we meet? Did we meet in D.C. or in the Northwest? Yeah, you know, I don't know. I don't know. Uh I mean,
0: could have been in D.C. I definitely was there a lot in that time. I mean, probably, at. I don't know. I remember meeting Amy Pickering at Discord, of course. of course. You you go to visit. She's always there.
1: Yeah. Um, Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know either. But then I just remember... I don't know. Maybe one time, like maybe you were out. Did you ever go to Curtis Pitts Land? Or oh yeah, land? Mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. So I think we were all out there. You, me, Cynthia. Yeah, that that makes that rings a bell. Uh, but I think I knew you before that, so it must have been yeah. in DC. Yeah, yeah,
0: I'm sure. Curtis Pitts, man, he'd be good to have on this.
1: Yeah. <laughs> that was amazing. That he was an amazing person to get to know. Yeah. He was ahead of everybody with the buying of the land business.
0: <laughs> yeah, right. He just like lived in a Volkswagen bus over by the reservoir in Seattle, worked at Sub Pop, yes. and just saved yes. every penny. Yep. To just bug out to the eastern east of the mountains. Yeah. Pretty and amazing. never came back.
1: Yeah. Amazing stuff. Yeah. We I remember Cynthia and I once met him at the re- a reggae fest somewhere in Eastern Washington. And it was another one of those like magical convergence moments. So some, I think Cynthia was hanging out with Curtis on the land for a while. And so we were, the plan was to meet at the reggae fest and I was coming from Seattle driving straight there. And um, it's, I think it was in tanasket Is that a place? Does that sound mm, right? Sounds right. Somewhere, I mean, somewhere around there, you know? Yeah. Um, and so I was driving from Seattle and you know, again, no cell phones. Dicey directions, like scribbled on a little piece of paper. And I got close, and I was like, Oh, "Let me get some gas just in case." So I get some gas, and like, of course, at the gas station, I see some people. They're like, "I'm like, oh, are you going to the reggae fest? Are going to right?" So I kind of follow them, these people. I'm like, "Do you know how to get there? I'll just follow you." So I follow them there. And it turns out that they're staying, the people that I'm following are staying right next to where Cynthia and Curtis are. Amazing. Of all the places in this whole place, I pull up and I'm like, oh, there you are. Classic.
0: <laughs> That's awesome. Really classic. What was Eastern Washington Reggae Fest like?
1: Oh, God. <laughs> exactly what you would imagine. <laughs> and Cynthia and I were like, what are we doing here? <laughs> <laughs> it was exactly like you're imagine i think we went because we wanted to go to the barter fair the next day mm-hmm. what so, was like, that like the barter that, fair? which it's just people with we i remember just thinking like we talked it up like yeah let's go to the barter fair but it was really just like a lot of junk people mm-hmm. just sitting there with their junk trading junk um yeah. not as interesting as one would think uh, who no headlined worries. the reggae fest <laughs> what's that I don't money. even remember. No. Like at the time, it's funny because I have like I have like in and out love affair with reggae. At the time, reggae was on the outs for me. So I was definitely just like, oh, this is this couldn't possibly be the worst place to be. And it just went on and on until like two in the morning, just I and I and I and I. I, I, I and <laughs> I, 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 I and I and I and I and me <laughs> right now, I'm in the, on the end with reggae, but yeah. <laughs> what are you know, listening to? Else. um I like the old stuff, you know. Like I like listening to like 70s. the early, mm-hmm. yeah, like seventies, like early stuff. I like listen to this dub mix all the time. Seventies, eighties dub mix all the time. Yeah, that's
0: one of my go-to musics for sure. I mean, I yeah. listen to probably more than anything. If I just pull something up, I'm always going to the roots seventies
1: yep. dub. Yep. Can't go wrong. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And like, I also like, you know, I love even earlier, like the rock steady stuff, like oh, yeah. Alton Ellis and all of those guys, like oh, Desmond so Decker, of course, it's just, it's so incredible. Like how evocative that music is just incredible. Amazing. What
0: Jamaica has given the world yeah. musically, just this little Island. Yeah. And it's yep. just the entire planet has been yep. touched by
1: it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's incredible. really incredible. It's really incredible. So. Have you ever been yeah. there? I've never been to Jamaica. I have been to the Caribbean, though. I have uh, family in the in Saint Thomas, and in my mom has dear friends in the Bahamas. So I've been to those places, but never Jamaica. I, I remember Alec
0: Mackay telling me a story. He went to Jamaica. Did you ever talk to him about that?
1: No, he went to Jamaica. I didn't know that. Yeah, okay. he had these incredible.
0: St- I got to talk to him.
1: Yeah, you do. <laughs> Say the
0: story, or let him tell it.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I remember though,
0: you know, he was like just staying with some family. I don't know how he met them, but they lived like up in the hills above in Kingston or something. And, and he would like walk down to the beach and, you know, most white people going to Jamaica are like staying at sandals or something, but he's just like walking through the town, you know? Yeah. And at like, at night he like stayed at the beach too late. And then he was like, I'm going to walk home. And then everybody's just looking at him like, what the hell are you (laughs) doing? Just like walking (laughs) home, like who are you know he's just like you just stand out like oh shit i made a mistake <laughs> but i mean it all worked out
1: fine i think but yeah but, but yeah, I feel, just, yeah. yeah i feel like that that's like something that punk did for us you know yeah. it kind of gives you this like oh you just kind of do well, your you thing
0: see the, you see the world street level not uh, yeah. tourist level you know that's so right. you're used to seeing the world through like you go to london you're not going to stay you know hang out at buckingham palace you're going to hang out right. in a neighborhood where people live and right know, and same with yeah you get used to that Yeah. Thing.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And it pays off, you know. Yeah. Exactly. Because you see, you get connected in a different way. Yeah. Yeah.
0: I just remember he said that that the family had some son who was kind of the bad seed, and and he would come by and like try and pressure Alex. Alex, give me a key to the house. I need to come in and grab something. They told me not to. He's like, "Come on, man, let me in." He's like, "Oh, what do
1: I do? What do I do? I'm a guest here. Who do I listen
0: to?" Yeah, I was fine. I got. I'll ask him to tell the story. I'm not doing it justice. I'm sure.
1: Yeah, amazing. Yeah. Amazing. Incredible. Yeah.
0: yeah. I remember yeah, Calvin went to uh who was it? It's The Studio 1. He has like um what's his name? The guy who's founded Studio 1. He like has a he had a record distributor out in like far out new york somewhere and he uh-huh. like went out there and he just had all the original pressings and it's kind of like oh somebody wants this stuff this is you know in the 90s yeah and that's where calvin just would come back with like all these like original jamaican records that were just oh, shrink wrapped and it's like yeah we'll just sell them okay
1: oh, that's amazing that is amazing
0: yeah yeah, it's funny, like how people don't know right
1: what there. they like the value. Like I don't know, there's so much right. People love. want this,
0: like yeah, yeah.
1: people want it. <laughs> I
0: mean, now of course you'd know the yeah. internet age. That's the thing; it's so different now. it's like you can always find out the value of things you have really easily. Yeah, but exactly. yeah, that that golden age in the '90s where it's like you go thrift shopping in Arkansas and get you know stuff <laughs> yes. that now would sell in Japan for like twenty five thousand dollars in yep. denim or
1: whatever. Yep, exactly. Yeah. All More the internet. Hunt.
0: <clears throat> yeah. It gives and like, it takes.
1: It's like such a um it really changed everything. I had no idea. I remember when um I was working at Sub Pop and Ian Dixon was like the computer guy there and he he was like this. I went into his office and he had like a couple of he had a couple monitors at the time. He's like, "This is the new thing. It's the World Wide Web." And I remember just saying that, like, "Well, what, what is it?" <laughs> there was nothing there. Yet, you know, he's like, "It's the future." And I'm like, "What are you talking about?" You know, I just couldn't conceive of how it was going to change. Yeah,
0: who could? I mean, yeah, I remember <laughs> I worked at Alternative Tentacles when I got my first email address, and somebody yep. was like, "Yeah, we'll get you this thing. It's email," and I'm like. Who's going to write me? <laughs> you know, like I got this address, but I don't have anybody to write, and nobody, I don't know anybody me, else who has so one. <laughs> what yeah. does it matter? It's like, am I really going to use this email? Exactly.
1: Yeah. I remember Cynthia and I would, there was one day she had this thing, I guess at Discord, they had free Fridays. We would call it Fry Fry Um fry-tog. the free long distance calls on Friday. So we would just talk for hours. And, and she, uh, what There was one time I was working at Sub so Pop and we were on the phone. We were on the phone and we were like, okay, let's send a fax and let's send an email at the same time and let's see what happens. You know, we were just trying to like crash the system. Every, <laughs> do everything Which one wants. would get there faster? Exactly. And <laughs> clearly we were on the phone. So that was like that's so funny. <laughs> the fastest in the moment.
0: <laughs> Speaking of uh, my time at Alternative Technical, I heard that Biafra still communicates with the office via fax.
1: Oh, that's amazing. Facts. Where do you get the paper now? I know. I've got That's a stash. <laughs> that, the terrible know. thing about the facts, that old fax paper is that it fades and it doesn't oh, live, no you know, so so there's no archive of anything, you know, yeah. I have, like, when I was in this band in the 90s, I was like a total Durani when I was, you know, 10 or something like or 11 or whatever. And and we actually, um, my other band, Mavis Pigot, we did a song for a compilation that, um, John Taylor was putting together uh, a Roxy Music cover compilation. And um I had all these faxes from John Taylor, but they're all gone now. They've faded. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, that sucks as a medium Which, for archives. Exactly.
1: it's like trash for um, archival. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> archival trash. That's
0: funny. Invisible ink. Yep. <laughs> so when did you work at Sun Pop? what years it was, was
1: that, 90 obviously. so after china 92 yeah. to 98 no no 96 or 97 i don't know the 90s you know some golden years of sub pop the golden years of sub pop exactly yeah. I kind of like that's how i realized like looking back especially writing things like and i landed in some like the moment of things you know <laughs> like yeah. being in dc at that time and like being in seattle at that time being at edible schoolyard at that time you know like these like moments have happened around me
0: yeah well you have good taste and you're fearless
1: you know yeah
0: so you're you know you got there and just yeah the times yeah it's a good arc yep did sean kelly uh work at Sub Pop with you at any point i remember he worked there towards the end of that time of yours maybe it was after
1: so maybe it was after yeah maybe it was after but it was great like i I, I remember
0: web here you know
1: Oh yeah, yeah. I um, I got that job through Curtis. You know, I was like selling coffee in one of those little coffee carts in Seattle, (laughs) and he was like, "Oh, I need somebody as a receptionist." That's up. I'm like, "I'll do it." You know, again, it was one of those timelines. It was like came by on a Wednesday, and like Monday, I was starting. You know. (laughs) Yeah,
0: Yeah, that was how my alternative technicals started. I walked in there. I was looking for a job, and I stopped by to say hi to Debbie Gordon and. She's like, well, why don't you just work here? And I was like, the next day I was yeah. doing mail order. I was like, okay, cool. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> if you're looking for a job. we'll just
1: work here. <laughs> okay, dream yeah. job. You know, just yeah. yeah, yeah, Boom. It was, it was great. And I had like I remember um, working at a record store in D.C. when that Sub Pop 100 came in and that box set thing. The box set, yeah. yeah. And I also remember when, um, like, when we when Fire Party was on. I don't know, even one of our European tours. Maybe it was the second one. Tad and Nirvana were right. They were a few days ahead of us or behind us. So it was like everywhere we went, they had just played. And we finally saw them in Amsterdam, I believe, on one of our days off. So and they, that was that like was my, when
0: they were kind of flip-flopping on who would headline.
1: Yeah, that was when they were flip-flopping that tour. And that, that one that uh, Bruce Pavitt did a book about that tour,
0: mm. which is pretty cool. You saw them in
1: Amsterdam? Yeah, we saw them in Amsterdam. Cause did I you think know those the, guys at all? I mean... Not, well, this was before grohl did you know yeah this was before grohl yeah. so not then um it was yeah it's interesting cuz i'm surprised that we didn't really like go introduce ourselves or talk to them that night like uh, we um like the first so it had to be the second one of the second tour that fire party went on cuz the first tour we were that was when blue or bleach came out you know we heard the blue yeah. single and so I remember listening to that a lot on the first tour, and then the second tour they were actually touring at the same time, so we mm. got to see them play. Does your daughter realize that she has the coolest mom in the world? <laughs> I think she's starting she piece to piece it she's starting to piece it together. I think I finally like i i finally got her um when uh because she you know has another friend whose parents from the d c punk scene or whatever and her friend also kind of like veers into the our music, you know, and is really into the Ramones, and is always in the back of the car. One day, she's like, "Mom, do you, did you know? Do you know who the Ramones are?" I'm like, "Yeah." I'm like, "What kind of I've question of is that?" <laughs> 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 of course, I know what the
0: Ramones
1: are. in Europe are with a band for three months when I was sixteen. <laughs> I was you know? like, "What? What do you What do you mean?" And then I told her the story about what's, when I was in New York with Red Cross, I was, you know, I was hanging, we were, they were playing with Sonic Youth, I think. And like, I was going up the steps. I think it was at the Ritz and I was going up the steps and looking down at my feet because it was really dark and like my head just butt into something. And I looked up and it was Johnny Ramone. You know? <laughs> I head butted him. You know? <laughs> okay,
0: you're cool, mom.
1: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, so like, of course I know who the Ramones are. That's funny. That's awesome. Yeah. So I love it.
0: Yeah. So what um, can we direct people to of yours? Is there anything you'd like to promote? What, when,
1: when- no, no, I'm like, no, I have nothing, nothing, nothing. No, I don't I actually don't have any products yeah. now. I mean, I'm like working hard on yeah. the book and I'm working hard on um, some writing children's books as well. Oh yeah. That will all be happening within the next few years. So just listen out to that. I did, I was playing in hard left. For a while, but we've been kind of on hiatus, like COVID hiatus. Yeah. Like everything. We have some some bangers in the can. but yeah, recorded <laughs> stuff that's ready to yeah, go. We have some stuff that's recorded that we haven't put out yet. Because I think everything that's hard left that's out now, I'm not on it. I'm not on oh. any of it. I've only played live shows with them, which is really bombastic and fun. Have you <laughs> played anything post-pandemic? We have not. No.
0: We we oh, well. It's not post pandemic. We're just no. It's ahead. not exactly. It's <laughs> I
1: mean, like I always, I always use the term pre new like, pandemic, <laughs>
0: right? Pre amrikan. No, was it? What's the new? Yeah, um, Ameri- um, What is it called? Amri. <laughs> um, um, it's funny because oh, this... like uh, two two weeks from now, we'll have this term <laughs> memorized. So, I know Omicron. this is going to
1: be a, exactly, this is going to be a, a letter I've never heard A of. total time capsule. <laughs> like, right. remember, we didn't know that letter.
0: <laughs> Tragically, he died of Omricon three weeks later.
1: <laughs> oh <my> God, <laughs> Knock on wood. I know, exactly.
0: <laughs> I had to get this damn booster. Yeah. I got to get my... Omricon booster pretty soon.
1: <laughs> yeah. yeah, so we haven't really done anything. I, I feel nervous about going out still. And, oh, yeah. And I know, I know sure shows have be. happened, and so I've been to, I went to an outdoor thing that's really small, like in a backyard space. A show. Yeah, a show, but mm-hmm. that's about it but during yeah. this time. So brutal. Yeah, it's really yeah, brutal. It's just,
0: it doesn't seem like it's ever going to end. It's just like going to have this kind of back and forth, seesaw, a yeah. little bit of lightening up then it will tighten up and it's just seems like life heartbreaking yeah just yeah i mean i think about you know kids like your kid i mean growing up in this time it's such a yeah i mean my niece and nephew in england like they're you know 13 and 16 and last two years that's like the most social forming time in life yeah you know social what, what am i saying you know what i mean yeah. Yeah. I know what you mean. Like, were there like really figuring out eat? yeah, how to be a yeah. social teenager and growing? It's like, my yeah. God.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I can't imagine. I can't imagine. I mean, I hope, I don't know. I don't, I have like, I've been trying to like really um with my own kid, just get her out in nature, you know, mm-hmm. you know, she has pretty much, she's able to do her activities again like she fences and has a DD group they play out in somebody's backyard every other weekend are you raising a nerd (laughs) i think so (laughs) yeah fencing (laughs) dnd i had nothing to do with all of this
0: (laughs) mom's cool it's the only way to rebel against a cool
1: mom (laughs) yeah (laughs) um but they you know she she like I just try to, like, let's go out to the beach or let's go out into the woods. And I think just constantly reminding each other to do that and just be in nature because it's the only thing that's, like, free from all of the mediated life, you know, mediated, whether it's mediated by COVID, whether it's mediated by, you know, the internet or, like, being tracked or whatever it is. Right. Like if you're out in the woods, you're like the only. It's the only time I feel free right now, really.
0: Yeah, I hear that.
1: I do. Yeah, for sure. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I got got a new appreciation as for walking as an activity during COVID. For sure, it's like that's our life.
1: (laughs) That's as it is.
0: (laughs) We have a dog, and like Lily and I, my girlfriend, like we just plan everything around. Like, what are we gonna do for the dog to enrich its life this weekend? (laughs) (laughs) It's true. Give it the best experience we possibly can.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's totally true. Yeah, we have a dog, the same thing, you know. Yeah. <laughs> like last week it was like, we're taking it to Fort Funston, you know, whatever it's like dog heaven, you know, just yeah. like the most giant beach and sand dunes, and you know, yeah. Oh, yeah, Fort <laughs> like Funston. Long walks. Yeah, it's perfect for dogs. Central. She was just she was in heaven, you know. So yeah. Yeah. and our dog really has
0: given me a pretty um so much helped me appreciate like the repetition of just walking in our neighborhood because for him every time we walk it's like the coolest walk we've ever done. Yeah, and yeah. It's just like I'm like I have walked this same block so yeah. many times in the past. Uh, yeah. Oh my gosh. <laughs> months.
1: Yeah. The light is really hitting in the it's beautiful. You look yeah. <laughs> really religious. You're having an epiphany <laughs> like, looking at you. <laughs> not, you yeah, I had that with Zoe when she was little. With my daughter when she was little. When she was a baby, since I was home with her, I'd like mm-hmm. walked. So much. Constantly. And it was just like constantly. And then when she got to be a toddler, like zooming in on like, oh my God, look at those hummingbirds, look at those, you know, ladybugs, awesome. look at this bug, you know, just like look at this leaf, look at that flower, you know. Yeah. I really felt like that helped me zoom in on nature. Yeah,
0: new eyes. Right. Small yeah. So cool kids seeing everything for the first time. Yeah. Yeah. I was at a store not long ago and a child was looking at like a pasta. You know, variety. And she's like, Mom, what's a medley? And I just thought, Oh, yeah, like you have to learn every word. I don't that's have kids, right. but I was just like tripping on like, a oh, medley. That's like a term that just, I don't know, what's this pasta medley? I you was know? like, Well, it's kind of like, you know, a group of different things that, and I was like, Oh, yeah, we have to learn every single thing.
1: <laughs> I know. Oh, man, I would have said, um, Oh, whenever I hear the word medley now, I think about this sad moment for hard left we were after Lemmy died we were going to do this medley it was like Hawkwind song shake like and then like uh, I can't remember what the other song we had this whole thing where you like played all three songs together just like a medley you know three covers boom 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 a Lem medley (laughs)
0: <laughs> it was amazing head.
1: but i forget what happened i think the show that we were going to do it at it just ended up being so lame that we were like these people don't deserve, don't the, deserve. They don't deserve the medley <laughs> withholding them medley that's
0: not cool. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. we chickened out awesome. at the last moment <laughs> so when do you think your, your book might be uh um finished is it just a work in progress it's a work in progress future?
1: i mean i feel like i'm closer than i've ever been in years like mm-hmm. um so i'm hoping like by the summer to hit up people that i know <laughs> who put out books Oh yeah, yeah. cool. <laughs> to like see if they want to put out my book you know that's awesome i look forward to reading it yeah, and if not, like I can always ask Cynthia how I put out a book, or ask Martin, or ask whoever, you know. You got how do a I few do? This, you know, friends, book friends, yeah. <laughs> book friends, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> awesome! Well, it was so good to talk to you. Nikki. Yeah, you too. Wonderful. You too. Absolutely. This is awesome. I'm so glad you're doing
0: this. Oh, good. Yeah, I'm so happy to have you on it. You're part of the Met the story now. No going back.
1: Well, all right. <laughs> You cool. didn't even talk about like how I ended up in the Northwest or like the Northwest connections. Well, that's because we're going to have you back. That's right. I mean, every
0: <laughs>